you can't find your car keys and you're five minutes late, what do you do? Yell at your wife. You're trying to decide if you should buy a house. What do you do? Talk to a banker. People, this is not that complicated here. <laughs> You're watching the Minnesota Vikings, and they're about to kick a field goal to go to the Super Bowl. Well, that never happens. <laughs> Your best friend is about to go in for a life-altering surgery. What do you do? In each and every instance, you probably pray. Prayer is pretty common in our society. Not only is prayer pretty common, but prayer has, in one sense of a way, become this weird expectation. It's almost expected that you say to people, you will be in my prayers. We have public gatherings where it's an expectation that someone comes and read or says a prayer. Prayer is common in our culture. Yet with the commonality of prayer in our culture, it would appear from the fruits that prayer isn't that common in our culture. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this, is that the fruit of prayer is spirituality. Because prayer is a spiritual exercise. You're conversing with a spiritual being, the creator of the universe. And when you look at our culture as a whole, and even sometimes our own individual lives, we're struggling in our spiritual well-being. We're spiritually malnourished. You look around our culture and the world, what do you see? You don't see the fruits of the Spirit. You don't see gentleness and kindness, patience and love. What you end up seeing is you end up seeing bitterness and anger and wrath, malice and slander. So how can it be that prayer is so common in our culture and accepted, but yet spirituality is so low? and malnourished. Maybe it's because we've turned prayer into a religious activity rather than prayer being a relationship. Maybe what's happened to us is the same thing that's happened to the people in Jesus' day. We look here in Matthew chapter 5, we get a picture from Jesus of what can happen with prayer. Jesus kind of lays out the danger or he lays out the common pattern that people fall into when it comes to prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with the fifth verse, he kind of lays out and he says, hey, hey, don't be like the hypocrites because this is what happens with the hypocrites. They pray, but their prayer is activity to be seen. You see, there were religious leaders that were praying. They were gathering people together in public, but what they were hoping is that other people would see them. And then other people would cheer and celebrate. Oh, those good religious people, well done. And Jesus is saying, you can fall into this pattern of doing prayer as an activity to be seen. Or you can fall into another danger with prayer. Look down with me in Matthew chapter 6 again, verse 7. He says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, he's saying some people fall into this pattern of just babbling, of just saying the same thing over and over and hoping that going through the routine or saying the exact same thing will get them results, when in reality that's not how prayer works. Jesus is warning us, saying, hey, don't fall into these dangerous patterns. 
Prayer is not an activity that you do to be seen to get religious points. Prayer is not this routine that you say the same thing over and over hoping to get results. But prayer is an opportunity to speak with your heavenly Father. Notice how both negative patterns that Jesus points to here in Matthew chapter 5 have the exact same root problem. The root problem of the first pattern of praying as religious activity to be seen, the root problem is that they're, not, they're missing the root of prayer, which is what? Their father. What's the point of prayer? Jesus is saying here, the point of prayer is to pray, to converse with your father. He says here in Matthew chapter 5, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, the point of you praying is to talk to your father. So the root of problem of doing prayer to be seen is that you're, you're missing the whole point of what? Talking to your father. And then, now let's look at the next problem of just babbling on, saying the same thing over and over again, or trying to use a bunch of splashy words to sound religious. What's the root problem? They have a misunderstanding of who's listening to their prayer. Look down here again, Matthew 6, verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the root problem of just using more words or trying to sound impressive is you're missing the point that your Father understands you. Your Father just wants you to what? Speak it. To come to Him. We can't emphasize enough this imagery that Jesus is using. He's, he's really showing shock and awe here. This doesn't really shock us because we're used to hearing about God as our Father. But I'd really challenge you, if you want to challenge this next week, read the whole Old Testament over the next week. That's a challenge in and of itself. But find how many times in the Old Testament God is referred to as Father. And come back and report next Sunday. Okay? Jesus is really shocked and awe here of referring to God, his the eternal creator, as Father. He's basically saying to the Jewish crowd, hey, hey, the eternal creator wants to be intimate with you. He's laying out this parent-child relationship that God wants to have with humanity. He's laying out a whole new level of intimacy for us. That God is not just some far-off creator who created everything and then set it into motion and then stepped back. But what he's laying out here, he's laying out imagery of a creator who brings everything into being and then wants what? To be an intimate relationship with that which he created. You see, the foundation of prayer is the understanding that we have a creator who wants to communicate with us. We can have all the right mechanisms that we want. We can have all the great prayers that we want. But if we have no motivation, the mechanisms don't matter at all. And what's the motivation for prayer? Is to communicate with your Father. That's what he says. Your motivation is to go into a room and speak to your Father who will reward you in secret. That reward is being with God, your Heavenly Father. The motivation for our prayer lives is to be in the presence of God is to speak to the creator of the universe. God is portrayed as a parent wanting to be intimately involved with their children. 
Now, a parent, when they ask their children, hey, how was your day? Most parents want to hear something. Fine. Good. And then usually what? There's a follow-up from the parent. What did you do today? That was exciting. Teenage boy? Good. Nothing. Parent follows up a little bit further. Well, tell me, what happened today in math class? The parent isn't just going through an exercise because the parent's like, eh, I just got to check something off my list here. The parent wants to know what's going on because what? The parent has great value in their child. You could say they have a lot at stake. They have everything at stake. They've given everything to this child. So what do they want? They want relationship. They want to know what's going on. God is the exact same way, and Jesus is using this imagery to show us the level of relationship that he wants to have with us. Is God is saying, hey, I've got everything into you. Literally everything. I've invested my son into your life. So therefore, I want, I want to know what's going on. Talk to me. God wants you to speak to him. That in and of itself is just mind-boggling. I can't come up with an illustration or a way to capture the, the vastness or the greatness of that. That the creator of the universe wants us human creatures to speak with him. Our motivation is to speak to our eternal father who rewards us for speaking with him. So, if that's our motivation, if the foundation of prayer is that God is a Father who wants to, to speak with us, how do we pray then? I want to spend some time this morning just going through some very practical steps. Because, again, I'm coming with the following assumption. My assumption this morning is this, is we say we're going to pray a lot, but we pray very little. And so that's my assumption this morning. I don't mean to offend anyone today. If you've got a great prayer life, that's awesome. I want to encourage you. And maybe provide some more tools to, to keep on going. But my assumption is, is that most of us struggle in this area. So I just want to take a few moments and try to provide us some practical tools of, of how should we pray. Well, well, Jesus does it for us. He says, the next line in Matthew chapter 6, says, he's, he says, pray like this. And then he goes on to give us this thing that many of us have labeled the Lord's Prayer. So let's talk about the Lord's Prayer for a moment and what the intended meaning of the Lord's Prayer is. When Jesus introduces the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray like this. And I want to be very strict on what he says here because he doesn't say, pray this exact prayer. Jesus' intention in giving us the Lord's Prayer is not that we would only pray the Lord's Prayer and that's it. Now, is it okay to pray the Lord's Prayer? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with it at all. But Jesus never gives a law that says, hey, pray the Lord's Prayer and that's it. And some of you are saying, well, that's your opinion, Pastor Rich. Jesus says it right there, pray like this. Well, let me help you follow my pattern of thinking of how I come to that conclusion. First way I come to that conclusion is this. In the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer again. And this time when he gives the Lord's Prayer, it's got different wording than Matthew chapter 6. So if Jesus wanted us to pray this prayer, somebody should have informed Jesus to make it consistent in both places. So that, that's, that's number one. Second thing is this. If you read the rest of the New Testament, you've got the apostles planting the first Christian churches. 
You read the rest of the New Testament, we get no instruction anywhere from the apostles to what? Pray the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's, you can't find it anywhere. I challenge you. Find it. When you start studying the early church in documents outside of the Bible, you don't find the Lord's Prayer in any of the early church gatherings. Now again, you're like, oh, pastor, you're beating up on the Lord's Prayer. That's not a good idea. I'm not beating up on the Lord's Prayer. I'm trying to give us proper perspective of what Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is not giving us some word-for-word mechanism to get something. He's laying out a model for us. I'm saying, hey, pray about these things. And so then the final piece of evidence I'll get, give you of why I believe, and, and I think the majority of Christendom believes that the Lord's Prayer is a model rather than a word-for-word thing we're supposed to pray, is Martin Luther who is probably the one that is laid the groundwork for using the Lord's Prayer a lot in worship services and other places. He's responsible for a lot of that because he wrote hymnals and things like that that got in it. Martin Luther himself, these are his words. He says this about the Lord's Prayer. He has a barber. His barber has said to him, hey, help me pray better. And so Martin Luther writes a book for his barber. And says, hey, this is how you should pray. It's a really helpful, very short book. You can just Google Martin Luther on prayer. And this book will come right up. Very helpful. Martin Luther says this in writing this book to the barber. You need to know that I'm not saying you should literally say all these words when you pray. This would just end up being a bunch of chattering, empty and idle babbling, as if you were just saying a bunch of words read out of a book or letters. Much how the laity used the rosary and the empty prayers of the clerics and monks. Instead, I am giving you these words as examples so that your heart will be aroused to pray and instructed with kind of thoughts that you should be thinking when you pray the Lord's Prayer. When the heart is warmed and ready to pray, these are the kinds of thoughts that will fill it, sometimes with many words or with fewer. So Martin Luther writes this book saying, here's the Lord's Prayer, and then he gives a paragraph kind of after each section in the Lord's Prayer as a model, and he says, hey, but don't copy it word for word. Again, he's teaching us, as Jesus was, that the Lord's Prayer is just basically a model, or look at it this way. It's kind of signs on a road directing you where to go. So the Lord's Prayer, I want to encourage us to think of it this morning and break it down into two parts that we can use as a direction in our prayer life. The first part of the Lord's Prayer deals with the eternal. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the eternal section that's dealing with God's kingdom, overarching kingdom coming coming in the world around us. So when we pray this portion, what are we praying about? We're praying that God's will would be done right now in the middle of Africa, that God's name would be kept holy in Russia, in Europe, in South America. We're praying that God's kingdom would come through these different missionaries that are working in different places. And so as you read this name, you read this phrase, hallowed be your name, you're praying, God, I pray that your name would be honored with the decisions that are being made here and here and all over the place. So here's kind of how I do it. I I like the newspaper, not literally the newspaper, but I'm a big news guy. So I read the news, and as I'm reading the news, and then as I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, I take what I saw in the news and I apply it in the Lord's Prayer. So if it says, Hallowed be your name, and I just read something in the news about, hey, there's a family that's trying to make this decision or, or do this here, this is what I pray. God, I pray that in family X, your name would be kept holy. 
So I'm using it as a model to guide how I'm praying for things that are happening in the world today. So again, you get the first part all dealing with this eternal stuff. God, bring your kingdom around the whole world, the globe. The second half of the Lord's Prayer now, he gets real practical. You can say the second half of the Lord's Prayer is basically the day-to-day stuff. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, it doesn't get much simpler than that. Very simple. God, I need water today. God, I need food today. I need shelter today. And then what? Forgive us for our trespasses or our sins or our debts. God, forgive me for my wrongdoing today. And then lead us not into temptation. It's very literally saying, God, don't put me in a habit of doing a bad thing. Protect me from entering in and following the evil one. So here Jesus is saying, hey, this is what's kind of important to be praying for in your daily life. Nutrition, kind of what you need to live. Forgiveness and strength to be holy. Jesus is kind of laying out, this is what you need in your day-to-day life. Nutrition, forgiveness, and strength to be holy. So again, you can use it as a model to pray. God, I'm in need of this today. God, I need your forgiveness in this relationship or with this person. And God, right now I'm really fighting this temptation. Just give me the strength to stand up against it. Again, this Lord's Prayer, he lays out for us a model to enter into. So you can use the Lord's Prayer every day if you want. Just you got each heading. Hallowed be your name. Praying some stuff after that. Your kingdom come. Where are you praying for God's kingdom to come today? Our daily bread. What, what needs are you praying for today? That's great. Go ahead and do that. Well, if you don't want to use the Lord's Prayer in that way, that's fine as well. If you just you know that you want to pray about some other things, go for it. What does God want? God wants us to respond to Him, to come to Him with our requests, to bring our thanks and our praise to Him. So Jesus has given us a model to follow, a way to pray. Now let's get down into a little bit of the weeds a little bit in the practical level. So if you use the Lord's Prayer kind of as a guide, let me just give you a couple of tips as you think about prayer here. First is this, and this might seem weird. Oh, Pastor, now we're going down the weird path. This is what women do only. Okay, and I say this intentionally because, men, you're horrible at this. Okay, it's okay to have a cute little journal, men. You don't have to think you're in middle school girls again. Everybody should have a journal, a diary, whatever you want to call it. This is critical. So as you're praying, if there's different thoughts coming to your mind, just write them down. You've got to write them down so you can discern later if that was God putting the thought in your head or if that was just the pizza from last night speaking. So again, take that journal. You're just writing down what you're praying about. You're writing down the different thoughts, words that are coming in your mind. It's a practical way to be discerning. It's a practical way to remind yourself of what you're praying about. I mean, how many commitments do you make? I would contend to this. Everybody in this room, how many commitments you make to pray? No one's got a good enough memory in here to do it without a prayer journal. I've got a pretty good memory, and I still got to write it down. I memorize a lot of stuff. We all have to write it down. So if you're telling someone you're going to pray for them and you don't write it down, maybe you're not being honest. You're not really praying for them. A prayer journal. Keep track of what you've prayed for because then you can look back and say what? Has God answered this? And give God praise one way or the other. And then, how, what are you discerning as being kind of prompted in your life as you're praying in your time? 
So keep a journal. Number one, very, very practical, very simple. Just grab a piece of paper if you don't have a book or a journal at home. Second thing I want to encourage you to do this morning for your prayer life. Now this is uncomfortable. And I know I'm really going out on a limb here. Find a person or two or three or six or seven or 40, whatever, and pray with them. I believe it's absolutely critical for our prayer lives to go to that next level is to get comfortable praying with other people. Okay, this is not a personality issue. This is a comfort issue with God as our creator. This is a a level of comfort, of reflection, of us being ready and able of bringing our requests to God. This is why I want to encourage us on this front. If we're comfortable praying with and in front of others, I can tell you this, it's going to fuel your personal prayer time. And if you've got a strong personal prayer time, it's going to fuel your willingness and ability to pray with and in front of others because your level of comfort is so much higher. Now, I know there's a chance some of you are feeling guilty right now because this is a big step, okay? Don't, don't feel guilty. Think of this as an opportunity to take a next step in your spiritual journey. Most of us grew up in homes like this, right? We cheered during football games, but everything spiritual was really somber. I'm just kind of painting a picture of us Midwest folk. Now, that's not the spiritual life. There is some of this, but there's also a lot of this. So we need to develop this comfort. So we're going to do that this morning, and some of you may never come back after this. That's okay, I guess. Okay? So we're going to get uncomfortable right now. You want to practice praying with other people? You want to practice praying in front of people? There's no better time than in front of 130 other people. So here's what I want you to do. Take your hands, open them up like this, just in front of you like this. Okay, remember, no one's judging this morning because everybody's in the exact same boat. Here's what you're going to do. I'm just going to start praying. I'm just going to start talking to God. And as I start talking to God, you are going to start talking to God as well. Here's how I want you to talk to God, just like we were praying earlier. Just start saying things you're thankful for, and then just start naming people that are in your life. Just start giving names up. Frank, George, Whatever, just start saying those names out loud, okay? Just follow my lead and just say it out loud, okay? God, we give you thanks today for everything good. I thank you for the water that I drank this morning. Lord, I thank you for a nice warm home for kids that are healthy. God, I thank you for all of the friends that you've placed in my life, specifically those that help take care of our kids. God, right now I want to pray specifically for people in my life. I think of my dad and my mom. Give them strength this morning. Think of my brother and nieces and nephews praying that you draw them unto yourself. Lord, right now, I also pray for our city. God, I ask you to be with our governing officials. I pray for President Trump this morning, God, that you give him humility and wisdom. Just keep talking. Just right now, right now, what I want you to do is just start saying thank you for certain things or saying, God, I praise you for this. I praise you for that. Whatever it might be. Okay, everybody, raise it up a notch louder. Up a notch louder. Everybody, louder. Here we go. Louder. God, we give you thanks for cats and dogs. We give you thanks for clean water, everything. 
All right, here we go. Let's take it another level right now. I want you to pray right now for one country. Pick a country and pray that God's church will be built there. God, I pray for Mongolia right now, that your kingdom would grow there. I pray that you'd build 400 churches there this next year, God. Establish your kingdom in that place. Amen. Whew. Wasn't that bad. And I don't see anybody pointing fingers at you. Wasn't that bad. That's part of the Christian life, is coming together in community and praying together, building that comfort level of opening ourselves up and coming together. There's power. That's why Jesus says where two or three are gathered. He's talking about prayer there and asking for things. He's expecting them to be praying together. Jesus leaves, what's the first thing that the disciples do? They go into a room and they pray together. They didn't all go into individual office spaces. They went into the same room and they prayed together. This is a good thing. Okay, it's going to feel a little odd at times. And there's going to be times where you're like, wow, that person is using big words, righteousness, and God, we praise you for your justification, and the pray that you bring glorification. Okay, that's okay if they use big words. You be the simple person in the group. God, keep me honest today. Straightforward. You can pray that. So, keep a journal when you're praying. Secondly, find one or two people that you can pray with. Just say, hey, I want to get together 10 minutes. Let's just pray together so I can kind of build this habit, this comfort level of talking to God in front of others. There's so many side benefits of this praying together thing. So many side benefits. We can't, don't have time to get into all of them today. Third practical tip I want to give you today is, is this. is Build a routine until it is a regular part of every aspect of your life. Build a routine until it is a regular part of every aspect of your life. Now, some of you might think, well, didn't Jesus kind of say there not to be too routine-ish? Because then it can kind of just be wooden. Jesus isn't speaking against routine. Nowhere does Jesus say, hey, I want you to stop meeting in the temple courts regularly. What he speaks against is those who are meeting in the temple courts and then going out and doing the opposite of what they said they were going to do in the temple courts. Hypocrisy. Jesus is not opposed to routine. He's opposed to empty routine. When you're going through the motions, hoping that going through the motions brings you the benefit. So if you think going through the motions is bringing you the benefit, Jesus wants that routine to end. But if that routine is helpful for you in developing character, developing disciplines in your life, that's a good thing. So until you have it in every aspect of your life, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by every aspect of your life. You're out with your family or you're out by yourself and you're driving along and you see someone and you're like, I need to pray for that person. And you just pray for them on the spot as you're driving. That's, you got it now into your room. You're feeling comfortable that you're just pray anywhere and everywhere at any moment. You're constantly in the awareness of God. That's what I mean by having it in every aspect of your life, that each moment throughout the day, you're aware that you can speak to your Creator about anything. Until we're at that point, I want to encourage you to have a routine 
and put that routine in your phone, on your watch, your anybody even, does anybody even use an alarm clock anymore? Your alarm clock, whatever you have at home. Use something to set that reminder, pray. And then allow that routine to help you develop something that develops into your whole life being captured by the perception, by the thought pattern of life. So, right now, what I want you to do is identify your routine. When and where. What time of day is best for you right now to commit for the next seven days in praying? You know your schedules, I don't. What time of day? Is it 6 a.m.? If you can't get up at 6 a.m., don't say, I'm, all right, I'm going to start praying every morning at 6 a.m. That's not going to work. Okay, if you're a night owl, and you're, it's like 1.30 a.m., and you're going out for another dish of ice cream, okay, 1.30 a.m., great time. So right now, identify a time that's best for you. So for example, for me, I like 3 o'clock. Because at 3 o'clock, I need to go to the gas station and get a Mountain Dew and a Fifth Avenue bar. Perfect reminder. What's, what's good for you? Identify a time. And then secondly, identify a place. Just again, to build the habit. Is it going to be in your car, in the work parking lot? Is it going to be a certain chair at home? Be at the dinner table? Where is it going to be? Just again, to build that initial habit. To have a plan. So you don't have to think about those things. This is where I'm going and when I'm going and I'm going to pray. So identify a time and a place. The final practical item I want to encourage you on this morning. This goes for parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. If you're around children at all, I want to encourage you and I want to encourage you as hard as I can in this area. That's to model for your children extemporaneous prayer and written routine prayer. Most of our kids in the church have grown up only seeing one type of prayer. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest, let these gifts to us be blessed. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want you leaving this morning going, oh boy, thinks I'm let No, there's nothing wrong with using that as a way to give thanks before a meal. That's great. But if that's all that our kids see, do you know what type of vision that gives them of prayer? It doesn't give them this picture at all of Matthew 5 of a father who wants to be intimate and hear. Because find me an earthly parent that's just fine with the exact same response every single day to the question, how are you? So are you modeling for your kids and your grandkids? So that's the second way it's important is this. They see then that God wants to hear about anything and everything and the comfort level that we should have in going to God our Creator. This is critical. This is absolutely vital. So let me encourage you to be bold. Your next family gathering, when everybody's like, all right, we've got to say grace, you know how that goes. Maybe you just say, hey, you know what? I'll say grace today. And then just go in and offer an extemporaneous prayer. Again, it doesn't have to be complex or complicated. It's just an opportunity to what? To reflect the nature of prayer. I really want to encourage you to think about this. As you think about your children, what have they seen and what have they heard? Because they're going to end up modeling the exact same thing.
And guess what? Here's the good news. It's never too late. It's never too late. No matter what age they are, it's still going to make an impact when they see it and when they hear it. So, find a journal. Keep notes. Use it as an opportunity to reflect and discern. Find another person to pray with to build up that comfort level. Build a routine. Identify the place and the time. And then ask yourself, what are you modeling for your children? Prayer is an amazing gift. It's the greatest privilege we have as human beings this side of eternity. Let me say that again. Prayer is the greatest privilege we have as human beings this side of eternity. Why? Because you're talking to the creator of the universe. And the other side of eternity, you're just going to be constantly in his presence. Yet this morning, I know that there's a lot of issues with prayer. It's not all easy. These methodologies are going to help, but there's some big, deep, internal issues with prayer. We don't have time to dig into all of them this morning, but over the next two hours, I think i got two hours left here, yeah. The next two hours, I want to cover some of them. Let me cover one of them. Many of us struggle with prayer because of a prayer that God has unanswered. Or, from our perception, has answered in a way that's harmful. And we have to acknowledge today that that has an effect on us. That affects how we view God, and then that's going to affect how often we approach God. Here's what's happened. We've turned the Bible into a recipe book. We've turned the Bible into a little um, direction book of how to put something together. When in reality, the Bible is a bunch of declarations or revelations from God. Nowhere in the Bible does God say, hey, this is exactly how prayer works. Any and every aspect of it. At little different points, he gives different images and pictures, but we never get the full picture. That's important to remember this morning because of this. There's a serious level of mystery that we have to accept. God has hidden stuff from us. He's revealed a lot to us in his word, but there's still a lot that's hidden. There's no way around this. So some people have prayed for safety for somebody traveling. And as that car was traveling, it got in a car wreck. Now, I'm, I'm walking here on really, really thin ice. I want to be very careful how I say this. Just because an individual was praying for safety for someone traveling and that car gets in a wreck, that does not mean it was God's will for that car to get in a wreck. There's this mysterious element in creation that we don't understand why God didn't intervene in that exact moment. We know that God could have intervened. But we don't know exactly why He didn't intervene. Don't let that doubt be the blockade to you entering into prayer. Removal of all doubt is not a necessary qualification for a fervent prayer life. Actually, a fervent prayer life has a lot of expressed doubt in it. Read every psalm. God, why are you doing this? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A fervent prayer life expresses doubt rather than allowing doubt to block us from going 
to our Creator. There's a lot of mystery. And we rest in the known rather than the unknown. And the known is this, is that God through His Son, Jesus Christ on the cross, has adopted us to be His children, something that can't be taken away from us by anything or anyone. It's secure. And it's from that security as His child that we go to Him and enter into communication. And communication is critical for relationship. Wives, can I get an amen? Communication is critical for relationship. How I like to do it at my house, I thought this was going to work. I use a Google Calendar, so I give my wife access to everything on Google Calendar because then I don't have to communicate. (laughs) How well do you think that goes over? It doesn't enable a relationship to thrive. This morning, God wants your relationship with Him to thrive, and it can only thrive when we're in constant communication. And guess what? God has made the first call. He's given us His Word. God is conversing with you right now. Are you going to answer the call? Let us pray. Gracious Father, God, thank you that you hear us right now. God, that's amazing. God, thank you that you ask us to pray. Thank you that you command us to pray. God, this morning right now I ask that you would capture each of our hearts with that vision of you as our Father. And God, I pray this morning that you give each of us a desire for that intimate communication. So right now, God, I ask for the, by the power of your Spirit, that you would take these thoughts, these conversations that we've had this morning, and you'd apply it now to our life. So I pray that you'd put people in each of our lives that we can pray with. I pray that you right now would put a time and a place in each of our minds where we should pray daily. God, thank you for hearing us. And God, I pray right now for those who are struggling with unanswered prayer. God, I ask that you would give them a a sense of stability. I pray that you give them a new confidence found in eternal hope through Jesus. So God, I pray that you'd awaken us to hope. And I pray that that hope would drive us to communication with you. God, thank you for who you are and what you have done. We pray, God, that you would come and invade this place, invade our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.